from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, Palestinian rockets have been raining down on parts of Israel, and in response, Israeli airstrikes have pounded Gaza. Speaking to the Israeli people, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said the fighting could continue for some time. We'll get a live report from Jerusalem with CBN's Middle East Bureau Chief, Chris Mitchell. Then... And behind me, you can see where Joe Biden abandoned the wall project. That's Missouri Congressman Jason Smith, who was uh, on our southern border last week. He is here with us today with a report on his trip. We'll also get him to weigh in on President Biden's massive so-called infrastructure bill. And I mentioned this last week, but the internal GOP battle over Liz Cheney and a potential replacement for the Republican conference chair in the House is heating up. Members uh, are echoing the same thing I said last week. Conservative voters want to know that Republicans are putting leaders in place that will fight for the people and stop the radical Democrat agenda. Texas Congressman Chip Roy sent an urgent appeal to Republican House members earlier today with that message. He joins us later here on Washington Watch. And yesterday, President Biden said, quote, this month's job numbers show we're on the right track, end quote. Well, we might be on the right track, but the question is, are we headed in the right direction? Financial Issues talk show host Dan Dan Celia is here to answer that question later on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I also want to encourage you to download the Stand Firm app. That way you can stay in contact with us. Also, you'll be uh, you'll be able to receive alerts, all at your choosing, so you know what to do, when to do it, and what to say. As I have said many times, our republic is for participants, not spectators. Download the Stand Firm app. It's at the App Store, Stand Firm. All right, hundreds of rockets, more than uh, 600, according to the last count, have been fired at Israel from the Gaza Strip since Monday afternoon, and the Israeli military is fighting back, targeting rocket production facilities and other quality targets in Gaza. With me now to talk about the latest on this developing news story is CBN News Middle East uh, Bureau Chief Chris Mitchell, who's joining us live from Jerusalem. Chris, welcome to the program. Great to be with you, Tony. All right, give us the latest. What uh, what are things like right now there in Jerusalem? Well, very tense, as you can expect, especially down uh, south. Uh, Tel Aviv is hit with about 130 rockets uh, about 9 o'clock local time. That's about uh, three hours ago. Earlier today, Ashkelon, uh, most of those, 90% of those were were uh, struck down by the Iron Dome anti-missile system. But uh, many have gotten through. Two have uh, been killed in Ashkelon. Uh, many people right now are either in bomb shelters uh, down south. Schools will be closed in uh, southern Israel. As you said, Israeli Prime Minister just came out with a statement saying this campaign could take a long time. Uh, Defense Minister Benny Gantz said that it, uh, they're gonna, their plan is to set back these terror groups uh, for years. However, the leader of Hamas, Ismail Haniya, said there's really been a shift in the balance of power with uh, them being able to send about 130 rockets to Tel Aviv. David Ben-Gurion Airport was closed for about an hour earlier this evening. Uh, there was a fuel depot that was hit uh, in South Lebanon, as, uh, South uh, Israel as well. 
so it's a very, very bitter uh, campaign right now. I, I haven't seen anything quite like this uh, in a long time. And uh, yes, just yesterday, there were missiles that came near here in Jerusalem. We heard some of these explosions and sirens uh, were heard here in Jerusalem for the first time uh, since 2014. Uh, Tony, I, I think it's going to be a, a long campaign, uh, days, maybe weeks, uh, that we're looking uh, forward to right now. You remember, I mentioned 2014. I was there. Uh, in fact, I was with you uh, during those attacks in 2014. And uh, I think only one or two of the rockets were able to reach Jerusalem. Has their capacity increased from Gaza to send rockets further and deeper into Israel? I think so. And I think they seem to be more precise uh, in the kind of rockets they're uh, sending. Uh, I, I haven't heard of any many uh, targets like they have uh, this time. Uh, they hit a bus in Halon, uh, uh, the fuel dope depot, as I mentioned, uh, in southern Israel. Uh, also, I had heard from the IDF that some of the rockets have gotten through because they've changed their trajectory. They're, they're going more in a horizontal trajectory as opposed to vertical so they can avoid the Iron Dome anti-missile system. Uh, now, that's something, a new development I hadn't heard till today, uh, and that's one reason. In addition, the number of rockets is uh, can sometimes overwhelm the Iron Dome anti-missile system. Uh, earlier today, people have been posting videos uh, on Facebook, just incredible sights, uh, almost looked like Star Wars or a Fourth of July uh, celebration with the rockets going up one way, the Iron Dome intercepting them in the other. And uh, this is really that kind of battle uh, in the skies, but it's also a, a battle over, uh, you know, the future of, uh, of Israel. Yeah, actually, the screensaver on my phone is uh, is one of those pictures that I took from a bomb shelter when I was there in uh, 2014. Um, obviously, if they, they are learning how to um, evade the Iron Dome, it's still reported about 90 percent effective. That would suggest that they're getting help from someplace uh, to learn how to do that. I don't think that's organic there with the Gaza Strip. I would agree. And I, I would say that uh, that party would probably be most likely Iran. Iran has been helping uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which is a Shiite group as well. So the, the help is coming from Iran, uh, probably the technology, uh, some of the material that they, they would use as well. So they are getting that help and uh, and presenting a, quite a challenge to uh, to Israel. And you have to remember that what Hamas and Islamic Jihad and all these terror groups what they're doing is they're firing from civilian areas and they're firing into civilian areas inside Israel. So for Israel, it makes it extremely difficult uh, to be able to eliminate these, uh, these rocket attacks while trying to minimize civilian damage. Uh, earlier today, they destroyed uh, what they thought was a, a Hamas uh, stronghold. It was a large hotel. What they did in this instance, as they did in 2014, is they sort of a knock on the roof. They actually sent an SMS message to those people, and they said, leave the building. We're going to target it. And that's what Israel does to try to eliminate or try to reduce any collateral damage. Uh, they did destroy that building, but before that, they wanted to make sure that there's no one in the building itself. 
Yeah, Chris, as I understand it, what they, as you mentioned, they did this in 2014. They would go to a school, Hamas would, and they would fire rockets from there or even from a hospital uh, when Israel uh, Israelis would uh, counterattack. Uh, you know, of course, they're criticized for hitting these um, uh, civilian areas. But the same does not apply to Hamas when they drop these rockets uh, on uh, apartment complexes and buses, as you mentioned earlier. So it's like a double standard with the media. Very much so. And in fact, they, they rejoice when they hit uh, some of these targets within Israel. Uh, that's what they want to do. So there's no uh, compunction for them uh, to be able to try to just indiscriminately fire these rockets into uh, civilian areas in uh, throughout the south, as far as Tel Aviv, and uh, here in Jerusalem, uh, it's not what they uh, they they expect uh, in uh, in Gaza, though. That's why they they use these civilian areas, schools, as you mentioned. Uh, sometimes they they can store weapons in mosques or hospitals. Uh, and that's just the kind of warfare that Israel is trying to fight, and the kind of enemy uh, they're facing. So, Chris Mitchell, uh, let, let's step back for just a moment. What sparked this latest round of uh, conflict fighting between the Palestinians and the Israeli forces? It's a great question, uh, Tony, and, uh, and it sort of gets lost in all of the uh, the fighting that's going on between uh, hitting Gaza Strip or rocks coming into Israel. It goes back a couple of weeks to a place called Sheikh Jarrah here in Jerusalem. That's a neighborhood where there's been a land dispute above who— uh, who owns the land? Is it the Arabs that have been living there for the last 65 years? Is it the Jews who owned the property before 1948? Uh, there had been a compromise. They had gone to court uh, to, do, to try to arrange and, and uh, uh, settle this dispute. And actually, there was a compromise between the Jews who owned the land and the Arabs who've been living there for decades. Uh, what happened about two weeks ago is that uh, the Palestinian Authority came in with their own lawyers and, uh, and just really kind of uh, upset that compromise that had been agreed to between the Jews and Arabs. In fact, uh, earlier today, uh, one of our reporters went to that neighborhood and interviewed one of the, uh, the Israelis there, and uh, they said everything was fine. The Jews and Arabs, we were getting, getting along fine until the Palestinian Authority came in. And now... This uh, Israeli is telling me his Arab friends are saying, we can't be friendly with you. We're being watched. And uh, the whole idea behind this was because Mahmoud Abbas of the Palestinian Authority had canceled elections uh, for the Palestinians. He was afraid he was going to lose. Remember that Mahmoud Abbas is in the 15th year of a four-year term. So he needed to create a distraction after he canceled uh, these elections. Sheikh Jarrah was just the uh, the opportunity he used. So now the foment was uh, we need to fight uh, against the Jews who are evicting these these Arab from their homes for 65 years. And so that's led to the riots. And uh, from what I understand from the uh, sources that I've been talking to that really understand Palestinian politics is that once these riots began, Hamas's popularity, uh, Abbas's popularity increased. So Hamas wanted to get uh, their own popularity. That's where the rockets came in. Uh, it's an unusual situation, but that's the uh, dynamics within the Palestinian politics that have led to the riots and to the rockets. Uh, Chris Mitchell, just a couple of minutes left here. Uh, this comes at a time of uh, kind of uncertainty in Israeli politics. How's that going to play out? 
Very much so, because uh, just yesterday there was actually they were trying to finalize an agreement between Yair Lapid, who's the head of the Yeshitid party, and Yamina Naftali Bennett. They were trying to uh, have an agreement with an Islamist Arab party called Ra'am. Now, Yair Lapid has a mandate for 28 days to form a government, and they were going to use this Islamist Arab party as a, a, to help them get over the threshold of 61 seats. Yesterday, when all the rockets had, uh, started flying, Ra'am and Mansour Abbas, their leader, said, I cannot negotiate with you, and I won't negotiate until the violence stops. So right now, that's on hold, and that may mean that Yair Lapid's mandate runs out uh, for the 28 days. He's got maybe 21 left uh, days now, and uh, if he can't make it, that may mean uh, Israelis will go to the polls for the fifth time in more than two years. In the meantime, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is the head of the government. Well, the political consultants over there making a killing on all these uh, elections that you're having there in, uh, in Israel. Uh, but the one thing I, I, I do know, Chris, from observation is that regardless of political party, when Israel is attacked, they close ranks and they stand together. Exactly. And that's what uh, Yair Lapid did. That's what uh, Naftali Bennett did. There is a unity right now among the political leadership and the military leadership. That's for certain across the political spectrum. One other thing I'd add, uh, uh, Tony, is that there's really been civil unrest here as well. Many Israeli Arabs are rioting in uh, some of the countries here. It's very disconcerting to the uh, uh, to the uh, people here in Israel to see that. And uh, why a lot of people, and I'm getting text messages from people all over the world, why they're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Absolutely. And we'll encourage people to do the same. Chris Mitchell, thanks for staying up late uh, at night to join us. And we'll check in with you uh, in a few days to see how things are going. Thanks, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, folks, stick around. On the other side of the break, we'll be joined by Congressman Jason Smith of Missouri. Recently, he went to the southern border. In fact, last week, he joins us with an update from our southern border and what's happening. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. What is Roe versus Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the U.S. Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default, unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe v. Wade liberalized abortion laws, go to frc.org slash explainer. That's frc.org slash explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, then head over to frcblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, 
current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up to date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com. Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. Check out the website. Lots of resources there for you. If you happen to miss uh, any of the program on your way home this afternoon, you can find it all later archived at TonyPerkins.com. All right, the next few days could be uh, could be big for uh, President Biden. Tomorrow, the president plans to meet with the top four congressional leaders to discuss his his massive spending proposals, the $2.3 trillion American Jobs Plan and the reportedly $1.8 trillion American Families Plan. The next day, Thursday, he plans to meet with a group of Republican senators to talk about a potential compromise to his infrastructure proposal, which the Penn Wharton budget model projects would actually spend $2.7 trillion, rather than $2.3 trillion, over the 10-year budget window. It also projects that the American Families Plan would spend $2.5 trillion, not $1.8 trillion. So the president's $4.1 trillion spending proposals, his plans, are more like $5.2 trillion. But, you know, when you're dealing with trillions, what's another trillion here or there? Joining me now to talk about the president's proposal is Congressman Jason Smith. He represents the 8th Congressional District of Missouri. He is the ranking member on the House Budget Committee and serves on the House Ways and Means Committee. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to be with you. All right. Uh, you know, Americans see bait and switch all the time online, but it doesn't appear everyone's seeing through the president's plans here. You know, we've we've saw this with the original COVID bill, which they call what what I call the Biden bailout bill, where you saw less than nine percent of the roughly two trillion dollars went towards crushing the virus and putting shots in people's arms. You're seeing that with the infrastructure package right now. The two point three trillion dollar infrastructure package, less than six percent goes to roads and bridges, less than two percent towards the locks and dams and five percent for broadband. There's more money, Tony. Um, being spent on creating electric charging stations across this country than roads, bridge, roads, bridges, locks, and dams. And you, we keep talking about trillions of dollars like you were just discussing. But think about this. 
It's so hard to comprehend. There's not one trillionaire in the entire world, not one. And when you think of $2.3 trillion in spending, $2.3 trillion, you could build the national interstate highway system four complete times in today's dollars with $2.3 trillion. That's how much spending that is. Yeah. It, you know, I, I also I often think, Jason, the best thing that uh, conservatives could do for America is actually uh, push through legislation that would require truth and advertising uh, from legislation that's being pushed through. I mean, as you pointed out, <clears throat> so little of this is going to infrastructure. Uh, so little of, of the jobs creations going for jobs. It is it's it's a grab bag for the left. So what do you think is going to come of the president's meetings he has later this week with congressional leaders? A lot of his meetings are just a, a, a just just photo ops is is what we've been seeing virtually. Um, if the president wants to have a true infrastructure package that is about roads and bridges, locks and dams and broadband, you could find a bipartisan package. It does not need mm-hmm. to be $2.3 trillion and having the largest tax increase in the history of the United States included that would basically increase our our tax rates higher than that of communist China. If, if we could do something not with that kind of uh, kind of items in it, we could pass it. We could definitely pass something. But just in the first 100 days of his administration, he has proposed or passed $7.5 trillion in spending or proposed spending. That's $75 billion a day, Tony. That's that's crazy. Put that in perspective for our listeners when you look at the annual budget for the federal government. The annual budget for the federal government, which he proposed of $1.5 billion. Think about that. $1.5 billion of discretionary spending of the, the annual budget. So $6 trillion has been spent otherwise. $2 trillion for the COVID package and then $4 trillion in this proposed infrastructure package and the family infrastructure package. I mean, this eclipses what we would normally spend in, in a year. I mean, it's just it's, it's mammoth when you look you at the size to. of this. Tony, if you also want to think about this. We have, if you count all the, the, the COVID packages within the last year, that comes to $6 trillion. And then you count these, the, the two proposals by President Biden of $4 trillion, that comes up to $10 trillion in less than a year. Think about this. $10 trillion is the entire wages of all Americans in this country. 325 million plus Americans, all of their wages for a year does not even add up to $10 trillion. Amazing. I want to, well, first off, let me give you, I'm going to ask you to handicap this. What are the prospects of these measures getting through Congress? Well, you would think that they would be difficult because Congress has a razor thin majority in the House. It's 218 to 212. Virtually, if, if Speaker Pelosi loses three Democrats, the bill can't pass. The Senate is 50-50 split with the tie-breaking vote of the vice president. Um, if they try to push this through with reconciliation, they're going to have a problem because there's already been 20-plus House Democrats that, that said, unless you address the SALT deduction, which is the, the state and local income tax 
proposal that basically rewards a lot of um, wealthy folks who live on the east and west coast, um, if they don't add that into it, these 20 or 30 Democrats said that they won't support a reconciliation package moving forward. So they got a lot of different dynamics. If we could get to a bipartisan approach where it was maybe six to eight hundred billion dollars, we could get it get it passed. But I think that they're going to try to force through a reconciliation. And that's going to be very, very difficult for them. But if the Democrats stick together, they can push it through. But I, I think that they do have some serious problems. Wow. Uh, well, we're out of time. I didn't even get to the border. We're going to get 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 you back on to talk about that again. Um, but I think people are very, very concerned about all this spending that is being proposed uh, out of Washington. Uh, Congressman, so good to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Tony, it's great to be with you, sir. All right. Uh, Congressman Smith, to find out more, go to the website, TonyPerkins.com. In fact, he's got resources on his site, uh, notes from his trip, which are very insightful. Take a look at it. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, who's calling on his colleagues to select strong conservative leadership if they want the support of conservative voters. That's next. Don't go away. Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app. As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy told House Republicans in a letter yesterday that they should anticipate a vote tomorrow. That's Wednesday to recall the chair of the GOP conference, Congresswoman Liz Cheney of Wyoming, uh, who has uh, kind of gone out of her way to uh, to to 
really inner to, to be in a spat with former President Trump, uh, rather than focusing on the messaging, which is her role uh, for the GOP going into the 2022 elections. Now, other members are now speaking up, saying, "Look, we, we've we've got to be focused on what it's going to take to win back the majority, and this is not it." Joining me now to uh, to talk about this, Congressman Chip Roy. He represents the 21st Congressional District of Texas, and he sent an appeal to his uh, colleagues in the Republican caucus earlier today, urging them not only to recall uh, Liz Cheney, but also to select a conservative leader that can build confidence with conservative voters. And he joins us now. Congressman Roy, welcome back to the program. Well, Tony, great to be on the show, uh, as always, and I appreciated seeing your uh, commentary, I think yesterday, I, I believe is when it was, where you pretty much outlined something very similar to what I put in my memorandum to my colleagues today, that, uh, yes, we should uh, recall Liz. And, and, and to be clear, Liz is a friend. I've got a lot of respect for Liz and have worked with Liz on a number of different issues. Uh, but I think she got herself into a place where it's personal, where she's distracting the conference by looking backwards instead of forwards. And I think, uh, like you pointed out yesterday, I, I do think it's time uh, for uh, us to move forward in a different direction. And, and Liz can be her own voice in her own way as a member of the Congress, but not necessarily. There's a move to try to tap, uh, almost coordinate, uh, also my friend, uh, to be the uh, next chair. And I think that would be a major mistake given her track record, which is very much out of line with the conservative values that I know that you represent and that most of your listeners today represent. Well, and you outlined that quite well in your letter, your memorandum to your colleagues. I mean, I, Liz Cheney, actually, and I put it in my piece, she, she voted, she's had a 100% voting record with uh, FRC Action, our political arm. Uh, so it's not over her policy positions. It's what you said. She's looking backwards. She's in this dispute with uh, President Trump, former President Trump, and that's not helpful for the party going forward. But uh, at least uh, Stefanik has a horrible record when you look, and you, you outline, she voted, I think she only voted with the president in his agenda about three quarters of the time. That's not good enough for the person who's going to be shaping the message for the Republicans. No, that's exactly right. It's a far worse track record in terms of a voting record with President Trump. Uh, but even even that uh, is just a number. You can kind of look at it and see what it is. I think these specific votes that we outlined in the memorandum really speak volumes. And the people listening, uh, one of those key votes was going out of her way to vote for an amendment to, I think it was the DOD 100, to override President Trump's transgender truth policy. Now, that's right. a big deal. That's an affirmative yes. step, right, to go after what the president had done. She similarly went out of her way to vote for a resolution to condemn President Trump and his administration for their righteous lawsuit to try to end the Affordable Care Chip, let me ask you, uh, let me Neither ask you this. nor good care. For the Equality Act in the last Congress. What, what are you hearing from your colleagues as you discuss this? I know some are concerned about, you know, this is the person that uh, the leadership has picked. Uh, is there enough concern that the rank and file Republicans may push back on this? Well, I hope so. I was disappointed uh, 
Now you, we're we're losing you, Chip. We're, uh, let's uh, let's see if we can reconnect. Let's see if we can reconnect with him. Get him uh, on there because he was digitizing on us. Um, you know, I, I've been talking with a number of people about this within the rank and ranks and file of uh, the rank and file of the Republicans. And uh, you know what it's going to take, folks? You just need to encourage. I know this is kind of inside baseball, you know, who the leadership are. And this is an inside thing. It doesn't uh, doesn't necessarily uh, take uh, outside input. But I think they need to hear from voters that they the, the conservatives want the Republicans to fight. They don't want to be milk toast. They don't want to be in the middle of the road. I mean, the only thing you see in the middle of the road are yellow stripes and dead cats. Uh, what we want are people who are going to fight for conservative values and ideas. That's what President Trump did. And that's why the conservative allegiance to him is so strong. That's why people were willing to do whatever to support him because he fought. And I think that's the, the, the day and age in which we live. Right, wrong, or indifferent, people want clear, defined leadership. And I appreciate Chip Roy weighing in on this and and sticking his head out, sticking his neck out to communicate with his colleagues to make the right choice for this leadership post. Again, it's it's an inside game that, uh, that is played, but it certainly doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt for you to weigh in uh, with members. Uh, I think we're, we're a trip. We're up against a break. I understand we, we reconnected with you. I want to thank you for joining us. We're encouraging people to weigh in and encourage their members to uh, to respond to your letter. So thanks so much for joining us. All right, folks, don't go away. We're going to be coming back on the other side of this break. Dan Celia with Financial Issues joins us to talk about the jobs numbers and the president saying we're on the we're on the right track. Might be on the right track, but are we headed in the right direction? We talk about that next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network, Bot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com. Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history, and it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to frc.org Roe. The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. 
the real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org slash Equality Act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media, and if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit frc.org slash Nigeria. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019, up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood facts. All right, I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, the, uh, last week, the report for the April jobs growth uh, came out, and it, uh, it stunned economists. The projection was there would be about a million new jobs created. I mean, all this government money coming in. Uh, a million new jobs, and we would see unemployment drop to, I think, about 5.8 or maybe less. Well, what happened is that we only saw about 266,000 jobs created, and unemployment went up to 6.1%. So the president addressing this yesterday, uh, this is what he had to say in part about the jobs report. This month's job numbers show we're on the right track. We still have a long way to go. As I said, my laser focus is on growing the nation's economy and creating jobs. My laser focus is on vaccinating our nation, and we're making continued progress. My laser focus is on one more thing, making sure working people in this country, hardworking people, are no longer left out in the cold. They're going to get a share of the benefits of a rising economy. It's been a long time since that happened. So we're on the right track. We're not creating jobs. Unemployment is going up. We're on the right track. But the question is, are we headed in the right direction? Joining me now to talk about this is Dan Celia, president and CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries. He also is the host of Financial Issues. Oh, we're still getting connected with him. He's going to be joining us. Um, how in the world can you describe this as being on the right track? Um, I mean, in what parallel universe? And the media continues just to play along with the president. 
Now, of course, his team is outspending this, that, um, you know, it, it's, it's not the president's policies. Uh, I, I, here's a, I want to play another clip, uh, clip four. This is, uh, this is from the, the White House press conference yesterday with the White House press secretary, Jen Psaki. We don't see um, much evidence that the extra unemployment uh, insurance is a major driver in uh, people not rejoining the workforce. We actually see the data uh, and uh, our analysis shows that uh, lack of vaccination, the lower rate, which is why I referred to the data in the week that it was taken, it has an impact. Child care has an impact. Schools reopening has an impact. We talked about this yesterday, but growing evidence to suggest that these very generous extended unemployment benefits are competing with the marketplace, that rather than going back to work, uh, people are taking advantage of this, uh, you know, very generous largesse coming from the government. Uh, I mean, look, it just, it, Makes sense. I mean, it isn't, it's, this is not, um, it's not rocket scientist, uh, rocket science. It's just the fact that if you're paying someone more money to stay at home than to work, um, it, it, it makes sense that they would stay home. So, uh, we've got Dan Celia now. Uh, Dan Celia, as I mentioned, is, uh, president, CEO of, uh, financial issues stewardship, and he also hosts Financial Issues, a radio program that's on about 660 stations. Dan, welcome back to Washington Watch. You just hit the nail on the head. We got to get people back to work. Uh, well, I, I want to go back to uh, the president yesterday in his statement saying that uh, I've looked at these jobs numbers and uh, shows us that we're on the right track. I mean, we're on the right track, but are we headed in the right direction? Well, no, we're not headed in the right direction. I would even argue that we're on, we're, I mean, we may be on a track. It certainly is not the right track. And we've got a long way to go to get on the right track. And unfortunately, to me, it seems inevitable that we're not going to get there. We are seeing Fed presidents, St. Louis Fed, Boston Fed, um, Drucker Miller, uh, big analysts, uh, all starting to reverse some of their stance, all things that I've been saying for the last six months that were going to happen in June. So I'm a little early here, but this is exactly what we should have expected because we did nothing to incentivize those workers to go back. We have a record over 8 million job openings. We don't have any people that are willing to go back and fill the jobs. At the same time, you've got a president that's trying to hold up corporate America saying, hey, look, you guys got to raise your wages and pay people more money. No, the government needs to stop paying people. We have people making $40,000 a year between the state and the federal government. I mean, it's insanity to expect people to go back to work, and we desperately need that. And it's not going to happen until we get some decent fiscal policy and get a government that understands that their job is not to create jobs. Their job is to create an environment by which the private sector is going to create jobs. And they're doing a horrible job at that. Well, and then they blame the, the fear from the coronavirus 
and they said we got to get more people vaccinated. But if you go back last week to the president's uh, speech to the joint session of Congress, which every member of Congress has been vaccinated, but yet uh, they could only have 200 people in the House chamber that seats uh, 1,700 out of fear of the virus. So uh, they're talking out of both sides of their mouth or both sides of their mask. Uh, they're, they're, they're not being straight with the American people. Well, they got, they got to keep the fear on. They have to keep the fear on. It is the fear that's allowing them to add $5 trillion worth of debt. It is all about the fear because nobody is questioning them. They're just, you know, everybody is letting this far-left agenda just run wild. And, yes, they are trying to change the narrative globally. <coughs> Excuse me. Globally, we see the IMF and others talking about global warming. They're trying to shift the fear to global warming. Uh, they got to keep a sense of fear on, but they're not going to get anything accomplished for their agenda. Not co- accomplished for America, not an accomplishment for the American worker, not accomplishment for American manufacturing, American business, not those kinds of accomplishments. Accomplishment to fulfill uh, and complete their agenda. And so, yeah, it's they've got a vaccine that's not a vaccine. So uh, the right. FDA won't approve it as a vaccine. So the non-vaccine everybody got and it, it obviously they know it's not a real vaccine or they would have filled uh, Congress. So it, it's just the whole thing is insanity. And we're, we're just they desperately need to keep that fear play on and they're not trying to do anything. I, I don't believe they want to do anything for the, the real not, fundamentals of the economy. Uh, Dan Celia, I'm not an advocate of, uh, of fear, but there are some real things that we should fear, so to speak. Um, yes. I'd I be concerned about, I should say. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not, by any means, I'm not a, a, an economic wizard. Uh, you know, I don't understand all of that, but I did pass my economics courses in college and with all of this money that's being pumped into the economy with really, I mean, it's just being thrown into the economy and nothing necessarily attached to it. I mean, I would have to think that we're in line for some significant inflation. It has to be, Tony. It has to be. It's not a question. It is a little bit of a question is when, but it's already, <coughs> excuse me, creeping in. And the Federal Reserve I guess, uh, like like the Ben Bernanke area era, believes that they are going to control that inflation. They're not going to do it because they're not going to step in until it's too late. And what's going to happen is business sentiment, forget consumer sentiment, business sentiment is going to erode dramatically. And we're going to end in a spiral downward with a massive amount of debt. We don't have enough income now coming into the government tax revenue to pay anywhere near for the for the debt they've created. And that's only going to be going down to exacerbate the problem. And we're going to have interest rates organically with the Fed raises them or not. Interest rates are going up. We saw the 10 year hit one point six, one point six, seven, five. So nobody's raising rates. They're organically going up. That's what happens. And and this week's going to be interesting because by Thursday, we're going to have some real inflation numbers and we'll see what happens. We're going to see one percent, three percent inflation by the end of the year. Another one percent added uh, to what we have, at least. 
So, Dan, Celia, a lot of people look at the stock market. That's the only number they look at. The stock market is really going good. But that's only because interest rates are so low right now. I mean, I, I think that's a false sense of security in looking at the stock market. Am I, am, I, am I wrong or am I right? No, you're right, Tony, and that's exactly what has happened. But listen, it happened for eight years during the Obama administration. We had zero growth. They were proclaiming growth. But the only president in the world that presided over less than 2% GDP growth uh, for eight straight years, uh, that hasn't happened for three straight years ever. So, you know, we, we don't have growth. We're not going to have it. We didn't in the Obama years. We just have market gain. And market gain is already overvalued. It has to correct. The reason it didn't correct when President Trump came in is because he immediately started a pro-growth agenda, pro-corporate America agenda. And it changed dramatically the trajectory of where we were headed. So valuations and earnings of companies went up. So their valuations went down. It got in line. So we had a correction. It was just a healthy correction. People didn't even realize it was happening, but it was because the number, the valuations were being calculated on was going up. That was created by the administration. There's no offense or buts about it. And we have just the opposite going on now at the worst possible time. All right, Dan Celia, I want to shift gears a little bit because, um, look, I think we've got to talk reality. And, and I'm concerned with what I see with the economy, with the policies, the spending coming out of this administration. I mean, I think even my, my, my 13-year-old, we were listening to the president's speech uh, to the joint session, and, and, and he turned to me at one point halfway through and he said, Dad, who's going to pay for all that? I mean, even he gets it. Uh, that right. you can't spend all this money. Someone has to pay for it. So uh, we, we've, we've established that. Now I want to transition, Dan Celia, to all right, what do we need to be doing? What, what, do, what does the families of America who are trying to live responsibly, uh, what do they need to be doing to prepare themselves for what we may soon be seeing? Yeah. <clears throat> well, the best thing they can do is they need to be working real hard to get out of debt. Uh, It's critically important. If you didn't think much of it before, you think the money's just gonna continue to flow, everything's gonna be there. The greatest protection you can have for your family is to minimize your debt as much as you possibly can. And you need to be working hard on that. That's number one. Uh, Other than that, you've gotta build savings and you gotta build just real life savings. There's no alternative. Every day, somebody asks me, what are we going to do? How do we um, survive this? If we have a real crash, the kind that we probably deserve, if this all comes tumbling down, remember, we're going to be $30 trillion in debt in just a you know a few short months, it seems. And we've got a Federal Reserve that's got a uh, $14 trillion of debt by my count and adding a trillion dollars every 10 months to that debt. Something has to give. And the only thing we can do to prepare is to try to, again, uh, live within our means and pay our debt down. There is concern about massive deflation in our currency. 
but the other side of that is there's massive deflation going on in everybody else's currency. So that is going to help our currency look a little bit better. That might help us. But we've got a eurozone that's been in a depression for going on 18 months, first quarter this year uh, in in uh, recession as well. So, look, it is uh, the only thing we can do is is work to get rid of our debt, live within our means. It's not a time to be spending just because everybody else is spending. You've got to just hunker down a little bit like they did in 2009, 10, and 11. Consumers were not spending because they didn't know what was around the corner. Same deal right now. You just have to Hoard a little bit. I hate to say that because nobody, uh, no economist or analyst would say that right now because they understand that that's the worst thing for the markets. I don't really care about the markets. I'm worried about the economy. And for the first time in the Trump years, we had a market that was actually driven by the economy the way it's supposed to be. We haven't had that for the 10 years prior to that. And right. we're losing it again now. So we have got to just, you know, we I hate to say it, but we've got to be extremely cautious and hunker down a little bit. And don't try the whole, you know, get rich. The market's just going to keep right. going. I think that's that's I think that's good advice, really, on uh, on any day. Live within your means. Amen. Uh, Amen. Get rid of your debt. Uh, Dan Celia, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. Great to be with you. All right, folks, and thank you for joining us as well. Look, we don't need to be anxious. We need to be prayerful but pru- and prudent to go along with our prayers. You heard what Dan said. All right, until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, when he says when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.